Well, we hear that song, Jesus saves the gospel. How do we respond to that? How do you have, and I'm not talking about, well, you, you trust in it and come to salvation. If you've received the gift of salvation, if you've received the gospel, how do you continue to respond to the gospel in your life? You know, you would say, well, you, you respond with a, a heart of gratitude or you respond, uh, you know, with an attitude of blessing. Some of you may be thinking right now, this is what I would have been thinking. Huh? <laughs> am I supposed to have an ongoing attitude? Am I, am I supposed to have an ongoing response to the, to the gospel? Does the Bible prescribe that? You know, as we try to think today, and that's what we're going to be trying to answer, about our response, our ongoing response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's remember what the story was. Let's remember what the gospel is that, that we are responding to. You know that great story, the gospel, very simply, it's the good story of God's love for you and God's love for all and for that love to, to bring you close to God so that you can know Him, that you can experience His love and blessing so that you can enjoy Him. And for you and I to know and enjoy that love, God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into this world so that we could know God personally, so that we could live with Him eternally. And of course, for that to happen, Jesus had to go to the cross, didn't He? He had to go to the cross. He had to pay the penalty of your sin and my sin. He had to bridge the gap. The gap between a very holy God and a very unholy people. Because you see, in and of ourselves, by ourselves, we're not deserving of God's love and blessing. We're not even deserving of a chance. A lot of us think, well, I deserve a chance. No, you, you don't actually deserve a chance. As a matter of fact, it is our insistence upon sin, our insistence to do what we want, to live the way we want, to, to make up our own rules. It's our insistence upon that that has brought consequences like death and hell into our lives, that has separated us from God. That's what Jesus came to fix. That's the problem that He came to solve. And He went to the cross and He did that. And now if you and I will place our faith and trust in that, instead of having confidence in myself and how good I'm trying to be and how good I hope to be, and instead of putting confidence in my religiosity, I turn from self, I turn from sin, I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and I have the gift of salvation. The gift of eternal life, the gift of forgiveness of sins, the gift of being able to call God Father. Man, what a gift, huh? And that gift is available for everybody, whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, that gift is available for you. And many of us in this room have received that gift, haven't we? We did that Seven days ago, seven years ago, some of us maybe 70 years ago, we received that gift into our lives. Now, now that we've got the story fresh in our mind, what is to be our ongoing response to that story? Did you know that the Bible does indeed prescribe an ongoing response for you and I as believers, for you and I as followers of Christ? And we might think off the top of our head, well, yeah, no, yeah, you... Gosh, you respond to that story with gratitude. I mean, obviously, we want to be thankful. We come to church, don't we, to express our thanks and our, our praise to God for that salvation. We want to have an ongoing attitude of, of faithfulness and, and obedience. 
But folks, today we have an opportunity to look very specifically at the life of Paul and how he responded to the gospel. As we continue our study uh, of the letter to the Romans, would you turn there with me this morning to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. You'll find that right after Acts and right before the Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we've got some in the chairs in front of you. Hope you'll grab one or have somebody hand you one so you can study along. We're going to be looking at Romans 1. We're going to be looking at verses 14 to 17. Now as you're turning there... I want you to think about another verse real quickly. You don't have to turn there. As a matter of fact, I'll put it on the screen up here for you. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. And look how simple it is. Very simple statement. Be imitators of me, as I also am of Christ. Folks, God has done something in Paul's life. God did something in Paul's life to such an extent that God has put Paul out there in front of us and said, be like him. Now, my focus doesn't become Paul. I'm not a follower of Paul. You and I, man, we're followers of Jesus Christ. But man, how do you do that, right? I mean, isn't that a part of why we come to church, why we open our Bible? What does it look like to follow Christ? How do I follow Christ? And as you and I are looking for good examples, God gives us one. He puts Paul up there in front of us and says, do what he did. Imitate him as he is following Jesus. So folks, as we look at the life, the actions, the deeds, the thoughts, the words of Paul, we know God has set them out there as an example to us. So as we come this morning and we read Romans 1, 14 to 17, we can't walk away from this passage and go, oh, okay, well, that's good for him. You know, I, I, I have a command on my life that doesn't leave that as an option. I, I can't leave this passage and say, well, yeah, but, but man, Paul's a super saint. Paul, Paul's in a super apostle. I, I'm not that. I can't be that. No, quite the contrary. God himself has put Paul right in front of you and said, this is exactly what you're to be like. This is exactly what you're to look like. So as we read these verses, we have a biblical command on our lives to actually interact and say, how can I be like Paul? How can I do what Paul was doing as he was seeking to follow Christ? So let's look and see what Paul did. Look at me. Look with me. Romans chapter 1, verse 14. He says here, I'm obligated both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the good news to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it, God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Did you see the three statements there? Three clear ideas of what his ongoing response, his ongoing attitude to the gospel is. You should circle them or underline them in your Bible. He said, I am what? Obligated. I'm obligated. I'm eager. And I am not ashamed. Let's see what Paul meant in each one of these phrases. What that meant in his life. So we can see what those three th phrases need to be meaning in our lives. First thing he says is, I am obligated. Now he says to who? He says, I'm obligated to Greeks and to barbarians. 
Now remember who he's writing. He's writing believers in Rome. And you can kind of break the believers in Rome up into two different categories. They're either Jewish Christians or they're Roman Christians. So when he says, I'm obligated to Greeks and to barbarians, he's basically saying, I'm not only obligated to you, I'm obligated to everybody who's not like you. Because you see, when he says, I'm obligated to the Greeks, he's, that's basically a statement to the Jews. I'm obligated to everybody who's not Jewish. That, that word there, the Greeks, that's not a, a reference to a nationality. It's not a reference to a nation. That word used in the New Testament often is a synonym for Gentile. A Greek, a Gentile, it's anybody who's non-Jewish. So it's kind of a little message there to the Jews. You know, hey, we have a tendency to feel obligated to our own kind, don't we? We, we have a burden for those who are like us. We're easiest to feel connected to those who are like us. And Paul's saying here, you know, hey, as a Jew, I'm obligated to non-Jews. But he makes a similar statement also to the Romans because this isn't just a Jewish issue. It's a, it's a humanity issue. We always tend to kind of bond with those who are like us. And so he says to the Romans, I'm obligated to the barbarians. Now, he's not name-calling there. Bar- sounds kind of like he's name-calling, doesn't it? I mean, when we hear the word barbarian, we think, you know, you're referring to somebody as kind of some ravenous, eating, killing, pillaging machine or something. But, but he's not making a, a character call there. He's not name calling. When he says barbarians, he's referring to anybody that's not Roman. Because in this culture, in this context, a barbarian was anybody not raised in the culture, in the ways of Romans. So in this opening line, he says, man, I'm obligated to the entire world. Yes, to Jews, to people just like me. Yes, to Romans, to people just like me. But I'm obligated to everybody, whether they're like me or not. And he says, I'm obligated to them. That that word obligated there literally means indebted. I'm indebted to them. Now, now what, what does that mean there? I'm indebted. You know, if I borrow from you uh, $25... And I go out and I spend that $25. I now owe you $25, right? I'm indebted to you. I'm obligated to you for that money. I have to pay you back. That's not what this word means here. It's a little bit different. Same kind of indebtedness, but a little bit different context. It's the idea of receiving something from somebody for the purpose of carrying it somewhere else. This... uh, This past week, I was in Phoenix uh, with the Southern Baptist Convention. Highlight of my week was I I ate at at Matt's Big Breakfast. Yeah, Guy Ferrari was there. Had a stamp of him on the wall, diners, dives, and drive-ins. I ate where he ate. Uh, And it was good. I I also agree. Uh, So I ate there. And I ate breakfast there with Nathan and Leah nicely. Some of y'all know them. These two kids grew up uh, in our church, got married. They're, They're now in ministry. They're out in Arizona. And so I met them while I was out there to have breakfast with them. Now, Leah's parents are in our church, Brian and Janine Paskowitz. And if Brian and Janine would have come to me, they didn't. But if they did last week and say, hey, we know you're going to see our kids. Would you carry this $25 to them? And if I, if I accept that, if I take that money from them, I'm now obligated to Nathan and Leah to deliver that money, aren't I? I, I am indebted to them. It's not the same way as being indebted as, I, as if I took the money and then went and spent it on myself. But I did take the money with the agreement that I would carry it and deliver it to them. So when I come into their presence at that moment, I'm indebted to them. I'm obligated to them to carry that. That's what Paul's talking about. 
You see, when he says, I'm obligate, I'm obligated, I'm in debt, he's not saying, I'm in debt to God because of the gift he gave me. I'm in debt to God for the gospel and I need to pay God back for this. He's not referring to that. He's saying, man, I received the free gift of the gospel, but I'm now indebted, I'm now obligated to, to carry that to who? People just like me? People whom I'm most comfortable with? No, I'm obligated to carry it to everybody. People like me, people I'm most comfortable with, and everybody else on the planet. You see, Paul carries a great sense of burden, a great sense of responsibility to carry that story, to deliver that story to everybody. To everybody he come in contact with, to everybody that, that God will bring to him, he carries that story. Now, I want you to think this morning, is there any reason that you and I should not have the same sense of obligation? I mean, I, I don't know that we do. Can, can, can you sit here today and confidently say, absolutely, I know exactly what Paul's talking about. I carry the same exact burden. I carry the same exact obligation. I, I think most of us, I never even thought about it. Maybe another way to think of this. If you're standing before God and he says, I wanted you to be obligated to the world. What are you going to tell him why you didn't? What, what would be the words? What would be the explanation? Well, God, here's why I did not have a sense of obligation to the world like Paul had. Here's why I didn't feel any burden for my neighbor, my, my countrymen, or people around the world. Here's why I didn't. What, what would you say? I mean, folks, I really don't think there's an answer, do you? Is there any real possibility of standing before God and explaining why we don't feel any sense of obligation, any sense of burden, especially when God has put Paul right in front of us and said, do that. And what did Paul show us? Man, I feel a burden. Man, I feel an obligation for the whole world. From that, he goes on to say, I'm eager. Man, I'm impassioned. I'm so excited about getting to share the gospel. I can't wait to get up and go do this. I can't wait to go to this place or that place or that person. This is what wakes him up in the morning. This is what he's eager about. What are you eager about today? Man, this time of year we're eager for vacation, aren't we? Man, I'm eager to get to the beach. Now that's obviously a pure rhetorical statement coming from me. You will never actually hear me eager to get to the beach. But, but I'm eager to get to the I'm eager to take a break. A lot, of, a lot of people this past week, eager for the end of school, right? All those kids. Man, I can't wait. See, that's eager. I can't wait till Friday comes. Might have even been one or two teachers that were tad eager about that. One or two out there, a couple of them all in the choir. Yeah, yeah that, 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 you know what the feeling of eagerness is. Yeah, have, you, have you noticed you can be eager about something and still be doing all the other stuff you need to do in life? I mean, I can have vacation coming in August. Well, I'm not going to do nothing but think about that till August. No, I still work. I still have responsibilities. I, I still do things. We can do all kinds of things. But while we're doing those things, kind of our emotion and our energy, our mind, is what we're eager about. It's what we're thinking about. It's what we wake up and say, I can't wait till tonight. It's what we wake up and say, man, I can't wait till this weekend. I was thinking about what I've been eager about. Seems like last couple of months, everything I've been eager about is in some way related to what my kids are doing. So you know what? There's all kinds of ways and things and people that we can be eager about. Have you ever thought, man, I'm eager about the gospel? I mean, folks, I don't mean to be a downer today, but I'm looking at these things that Paul's saying, and I'm wondering, is this true of any of us? And I didn't ask... If you share the gospel, folks, I share the gospel. 
I, I share it up here in front of a multitude. I share it one-on-one. I seek to be obedient to that. Being obedient to it and saying I'm eager about it. That's two different things, isn't it? Paul's not just saying your job is to share the gospel. He's saying, man, I'm eager about it. And that's the example God's putting in front of us. Am I eager? Can, can you, can I, can we use that kind of emotion, that kind of passion about this story that we carry? Man, I, I'm so eager. This, this new person moved into our neighborhood. Moved, this new person is, has come to class or into the workplace. Man, what an opportunity to kind of begin building a new relationship, hopefully with the opportunity to share the gospel. Man, I'm so eager. I can't wait till this fall to take that faith class and learn how to, how to better express my faith and to share the gospel. Man, I can't wait for that next opportunity to go out on a mission trip and have a whole week of doing nothing but sharing the gospel. I'm eager for that. Can we say that? You know, as I started thinking about that, I started thinking, well, how would I become eager? And then I laughed at myself. How do I become eager? Here's a list of how to become eager. Does anybody need to make a list for you on how to be eager about vacation? How to be eager about this accomplishment you're getting ready to celebrate or this major milestone. Boy, a lot of families in here have had a, recently had a child graduate. Man, you were eager for that. You anticipated that. Did, did anybody have to say, now, here, here, you need to do these three things to be eager about that event. Gosh, isn't eagerness supposed to kind of naturally well up in us? You know, I'm not sure why. Uh, can I use the word a lot of us? I'm not, I'm not sure why a lot of us aren't eager about this, but I did think, I did, I, did, I kind of made a list uh, of some things I thought we might could do to work on becoming eager. First of all, confess it. Confess it. I mean, you know, call it what you're not. Hey, God, you know, you put Paul as an example in front of me and he's eager and God, if I'm being honest and it's not like I can fool you, I, I'm not that eager. I, I mean, this isn't something I naturally get excited about, energized about. I mean, folks, you can't resolve an issue unless you realize there's a problem. You can't repent of a sin that you don't even realize it's a sin. God's commanded, God's called you and I to be eager about... God, I'm not. I, you know, I confess that to you. And, and then kind of the, then the follow-up then, the next step would be, God, would you help me? God, would you incline my heart to the lost and, and, and to the state in their life? God, would you incline my heart to how wonderful this story is that I carry would you incline me, get me excited, God? Help me to develop that. And then number three and four, I could have made those one point. Number three and four are basically just motivation. Motivation to get eager. Number three is an internal motivation. Number four is an external motivation. The internal motivation is, man, I just think about what the gospel's meant to me. You know, I sit down with a piece of white paper and I, I make a list or I write a narrative. Here's how the gospel has changed my life. This is what the gospel has brought to my life. This is the difference that the gospel has made in my life. By the way, regardless of what you do with today's message, I encourage you to do number three. And if you sit down and stare at a white piece of paper and go, I don't know. You might want to ask yourself if you're actually a possessor of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You should be able to write some things. And it should be pretty exciting what you write. And I guess my idea behind number three is, man, as I see how much I have, as I see what I've been given, that I, I, I kind of become this burden. Hey, I've got to give this to somebody else. Hey, I've got to share this. And I get eager. Number four is an external motivation. I remind myself, I've actually been commanded to do this. God's actually commanded me to do this. And number five, 
You know, that's just this old, simple principle. Folks, whatever you want to be, put yourself around that. You want to be godly, put yourself around godly people. You want to be a drunk, hang around people who drink. You want to be immoral, hang around people who are kind of always looking for an opportunity for immorality. You want to be a soul winner, hang around people who who do that. Hang around people who you think, man, that guy looks pretty excited about that. He looks pretty eager. Get around them. Put yourself in a place where the gospel's happening. Put yourself in a place where you're going to learn. You're going to be challenged. You, you get to watch and have it modeled in front of you. Get around the gospel. If you don't ever place yourself around the gospel, guess what? You're not going to share the gospel. And you're not going to carry any passion or energy for it. Paul says, man, I'm obligated for this. I'm eager for this. And lastly, he says, man, I'm not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, this really kind of comes to the crux of the matter. You know, folks, maybe the reason we're not obligated, maybe the reason we don't have a sense of eagerness is because the reality is we're ashamed. Now, I doubt, I doubt very few of us in this room have ever voiced, either, either verbally or in our heart and mind, I, I'm ashamed to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm ashamed of the gospel. I doubt we've ever said that. But folks, we have actions all the time that basically do say that, don't we? When we're kind of measuring the scene, kind of measuring the environment and thinking, uh, I don't, I don't want to go out on a limb here. I, I don't want to really make that clear what I am. I don't really want to stand up right here and say, we've all done that. Over and over and over we've done that. We've done it at school. We've done it in the workplace. We've done it with people we call our best friends. We're ashamed. Don't want them, don't want them to think something of us. Folks, isn't that in essence being ashamed? You think the, uh, the winner of Jeopardy this week, you think he's ashamed? Or, her, or she's ashamed of her knowledge? You think Peyton Manning, you think he's ashamed of his ability to march a team up and down the field and looks like sometimes score points at will? You think Michael DeBakey is ashamed of his knowledge and insight that brought to us what we today call open heart surgery? You think those people are ashamed of that? No, of course not. You say, Pastor, that's a stupid question. Nobody's ashamed of success. Nobody's ashamed of being the best at something. Nobody's ashamed of ability. That's what Paul's saying. Man, I'm not ashamed. And he gives two reasons. He says, I'm not ashamed because this is the power of God. I possess, I hold in my hands the power of God to affect people for good and for eternity. How incredible is that? Why would I be ashamed of that? I think Paul says, you know what? Instead of measuring our fear of people's response, maybe we should work a little bit harder at some pride in the gospel message that we carry. He says, man, I hold on to the power of God. I get to carry the power of God into my workplace, into my neighborhood, into my school. Am I not going to be ashamed of that? Second thing he says, you know what? I'm not ashamed of this story because it's the story of righteousness. I live in a diseased world where every inhabitant on this planet is diseased, is sick with unrighteousness. Oh, we got levels of unrighteousness, don't we? And we all run around in our little unrighteous fishbowl and we say, well, I'm better than them. Well, I haven't done that. Well, I'm not like that person. You know, we, we think we're good because we measure ourselves against other diseased people. Folks, you only measure yourself against one, a righteous, holy God. 
And there's nothing I can do to change this disease. There's nothing I can do in my own power to fix this disease. But God sends the gospel. And you and I now carry the gospel. We carry the story of how you can have an opportunity to stand before God in right standing. To stand before God in righteousness. Why would I be ashamed of sharing that? Why would I be ashamed of sharing the cure with somebody? What, because they're going to think some might reject it? Because some might think I'm stupid? Sounds like a personal problem to me. I mean, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be their problem, not mine? Wouldn't that be a statement about them and not me? Paul says, I am not ashamed. Boy, that's three pretty clear statements, isn't it, folks? These aren't statements that once a week while I'm at church I'm to think about. These aren't statements that, that periodically during some kind of gospel rally I'm to, I'm to take on. Folks, these are statements that are guide every day we walk on this planet. Paul's put an example out in front of me. And he said, hey Randy, do what that dude did. So I have to ask myself, am, am I obligated? Do I, do I feel a sense of burden for the people around me? Am I eager? You know, do I have a passion? Do I have an excitement? A burden? And if I'm not, if I'm not eager, if, if, if there's never any excitement about that, don't we somewhere along the way have to ask ourselves, why? Why am I like that? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with, with what I possess in the gospel that I could not care and I never think about what the gospel means to others? I don't feel obligated. I don't feel burdened. I, I, I don't feel eager. I have to ask myself, am I constantly measuring whether I really want to step out here and show myself a follower? Am I measuring whether I really want to step out here and share this story? Or am I like Paul? Can I say, I'm not ashamed? You know, folks, as I, as I study this week and I look at these statements, I'll tell you what jumps out at me is the primacy of the gospel. The priority of the gospel to our lives. This, this is really what life is all about. Oh, no, no, life's about obeying God. Folks, you're not obeying God if you're not a witness. No, 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 life's all about bringing glory to God. I really don't think you can bring glory to God unless you've got a lifestyle of seeking to shine Him through the gospel. How do you bring glory to God and yet never want to communicate, never be eagle about the great story, the great work He did in this world? I'm not going to have anything to do with that, but I'm going to bring glory to God. The primacy of the gospel. And let me show you, let me tell you how, the, how that hit me this week. Uh, Y'all know, we, a couple of weeks ago, I brought Mary Beth up here. She's in Peru, uh, working on a mission field and sharing the gospel. And uh, she's been gone as of today, three weeks Seven more to go. <sighs> Gosh, it seems like a long time uh, to go. And, and, you know, she's there. And, and obviously, Mom and I, you know, we've, we've prayed a bunch. Matter of fact, I pray every single day for Mary Beth. Probably not a big shock in all, is there? And you know what I pray for? You know what I pray for if you're a parent? God, keep her safe. God, God keep her healthy. I pray about her, her well-being and her safety. Now, honestly, I, I pray she shares the gospel and, I, and I'm praying, you know, she's light in, a, in darkness. And, a, and I absolutely, every single day I've prayed about those things. But if I'm being honest, my eagerness, my passion, my energy in prayer is about her safety. It's about her well-being. I mean, that's just where my, where my heart goes. And all of a sudden, it was kind of while I was praying, I was thinking about this passage, all of a sudden it dawned on me. 
You know what? God's purpose for taking Mary Beth to Peru was not her safety and well-being. Mary Beth's reason for going to Peru was not her safety and well-being. God's purpose in taking her to Peru is not her health. Mary Beth's reason to going there was not her health. It's the gospel, isn't it? That's it. That's all. That's the only reason. The gospel. Now, does that mean it's wrong to pray about those things? Absolutely not. I absolutely can pray about her health, her safety, and her well-being. And God, my good Father, is hearing those prayers and He is answering those prayers. But what I got convicted about is, why is it so easy, so natural, so energized for me to pray about that? But I have to stop and think, and oh yeah, the gospel too. Oh yeah, God, I, I, I pray she's, she's doing it. Man, shouldn't the energy and the excitement be about that? And oh yeah, God, would you keep her... Would you keep her safe? And if you could bring her home without a tapeworm, that'd be great too. You know? You see what I'm saying? And folks, the reason I say that about Mary Beth is what I just said about Mary Beth is true of every person in this room, isn't it? Anybody got prayer requests for tomorrow? Anybody got prayer requests for the week ahead, for the summer ahead? God, help this, fix that, get rid of them, bring them, give me this, help! We got all kinds of prayer requests. Folks, you know what? I started going through my prayer requests this past week. Over half of my prayer requests easily could involve the gospel of Jesus Christ if that's where my heart and mind was. Do you realize some of the things that are hurting you and upsetting you the very most right now are opportunities for the gospel? I don't even know what that is to you, but I guarantee you there's an opportunity for the gospel in that. God, I'd like to be released from this. God, I'd like to be healed from this. God, I'd like them to disappear. God, I'd like you to fix this. But God, before you do, could I be light in that moment? Could there be an opportunity that because of this hurt and pain, that's going to be the car that carries me. That's going to be the means by which the gospel, the story of righteousness is shared. And it doesn't just have to be good, bad stuff. It can be good stuff. Good stuff can be the means by which we carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you know what? We're not thinking about that. We're not. I mean, you know, God, I want my summer to be this. I want you to do that. You know what? There's nothing like going to a funeral to realize that a lot of what we pray about really doesn't matter when you get to the end of it all. I'm not saying don't pray it. I'm not saying God doesn't love to hear those prayers and will answer them. I'm just saying, you know what? Really, really a couple precious things really count there at the end. You come to that funeral, only one thing really counts. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm obligated. I'm eager. And I am proud. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And God, I guess we have to come in a spirit of confession and repentance. I, Lord, I don't know how st statistics apply to us I, I think probably as a whole Southern Baptists tend to be the most evangelistic and yet statistics say only 4 out of every 100 Southern Baptists will ever share the gospel yea even once their entire Christian journey if that statistic is true then that means 96 out of every 100 of us in this room 
are not sharing the gospel, are not thinking about sharing the gospel, don't feel any burden, any obligation. God, we're not in any way, shape, or form imitating Paul. God, even when we are, I, we have to confess there's not always an eagerness there. God, I'm positive I have been ashamed more times than I've actually shared the gospel in my life. I've measured what that moment might could be or might how it make me look, and I've, I've backed away way more times, God, than I've moved forward. And I'm sorry for that. God, I've got a priority list in my life for myself, for my marriage, for my kids. God, for work, I've got all these things that are so important to me. And God, so often the gospel's not on that list. The gospel's not even affecting or touching anything on the list. I have let all kinds of things become the prime thing, the number one thing. I'm sorry for that. God, once again, I am so very grateful for your patience with me. I'm grateful for your forgiveness. God, I pray that I would seize your forgiveness not to go on living in the wrong way, but that I would seize your forgiveness and may it motivate me to become what you showed me in Paul. May it motivate us to become what you've showed us in Paul. Every one of us is going to go somewhere this week. We're going to be in a place where the gospel needs to be shared. I pray our heart, our mind is very sensitive to that. And that in pride and excitement, eagerness, we step forward with a burden for that person and communicate the story of Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.